Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello and welcome to Condensed Histories. I'm your host, Jim Daduchu, and this time around, we'll get straight into it. It's another Warhammer episode. So don't worry if you haven't listened to the other Warhammer ones or if you don't even know what Warhammer is. I'm going to say I'm going to take you on a pretty epic journey this time around. It's definitely worth your time to listen to this one because this time around we're talking about chaos. The gods of chaos. And how that stretches over not just one of Warhammer's franchises, Warhammer 40,000, but also the other main one, Warhammer Age of Sigma, which we'll come into in a bit. But what this is going to lead us into a conversation about is monotheism versus polytheism, and also the concepts of evil in various different religions. It's a really interesting one, I assure you. So please come with me on a journey if you want to look at the darker side of things. With that in mind, I do occasionally Warhammer episodes. To fill you in a little bit, if you've already heard them, then there's no point repeating myself. If you haven't, then feel free to go back. You don't need to listen to them in any kind of order. But why do I do this? Because, well, when I was a teenager, I really got into Warhammer, and it was just kind of forming into a, a proper series of rules and games then, back in the 1980s, particularly when we're looking at Warhammer 40,000, which today is the most popular form of the game. I only ever knew first edition. The book came out in 1987, we played it, extra rules came out in the magazine called White Dwarf, we incorporated those, and basically me and my friends, we all just went off to university just just before. We didn't know there was going to be a second edition, and indeed there's now a ninth edition that's come out, so there's quite a lot going on in the world of Warhammer and has been for some time since I've got involved in it. I like it, and because it's got 30, 40 years worth of lore, L-O-R-E, behind it, either in the old fantastical world or in the futuristic Warhammer 40,000 world, it's a very rich, dense meal of pop culture. So I can keep going back and mining this again and again, and so even if you're not really into it, 
I hope that you'll find, you know, these are sort of really interesting concepts that they've come up with, but also if you do like it, then hopefully I can give you some historical context to some of this stuff as well. When I was a kid, and like a lot of people, we all assumed, I mean, it was called Warhammer Fantasy Battle, okay? And it was in the medieval era, okay? We had people in castles, and it was far more about swords and bows and arrows, and there was magic and obviously dragons and all this other kind of crazy stuff there too. So when Warhammer 40,000 came out, everyone just assumed is, okay, 40,000 years later, We've now got spaceships and guns and space marines and things like that. But over the years, Warhammer as a whole has been a little unhelpful in the sense that Games Workshop's quite clear. These are two distinct properties. They're neither happening at the same time, nor are they happening basically one before the other. They have a variety of things that are kind of adjacent to each other. There's also Blood Bowl, where orcs are called orcs rather than oryx or any other variation of them and in that realm so you've got pretty much dwarves and goblins and all these sorts of things very similar to the rest of the world of Warhammer but the names are the far more traditional names like Dark Elves rather than Drukhari but also they have no battles there all their battles are solved on the playing fields of Blood Bowl so that's completely different but through all of these be it Age of Sigmar with the now iconic Stormcast in their golden armor and their Warhammers literally in their shields, so very much from the fantasy realm to the Warhammer 40,000 to also Blood Bowl. These are happening in three apparent different universes, three different realities, if you like. All of them have the gods of chaos in them, which really confuses things. Major, right now you got me about as confused as I ever hoped to be. And indeed, you can build a kit. A kit that came out pretty recently is Bellacor. He's a dark prince demon type thing. And you can basically build him with a dead warrior on his base or a dead space marine on his base. And that's pretty much the only difference as to whether you want to play it as either Warhammer 40,000 or Age of Sigmar. And he has different rules for these two games, but it's the same model. So no wonder people think that they're the same. And what I'm about to go into is exactly the same for both these game types, these worlds that they've created. Now, if you like, I guess the underlying message of this is the pervasiveness of evil, how it crops up in different forms, but again and again. Doesn't matter which realm, time, reality you're in, there's always chaos and evil lurking there, waiting to try and seduce you or hack your head off. It is confusing, and I don't see any reason why you can't have Warhammer fantasy as the before times, and then Warhammer 40,000 as 40,000 years in the future. Much, much more different. We could be playing Age of Sigmar for the next 40,000 years and only then catch up. Well, okay, 30,000 years and we'll catch up with the Horus Heresy. All right, happy with that? You'll have plenty of additions, plenty of opportunity to sell your little plastic toys and you could just bring these together. It's absolute, there's no reason why you can't. So, what is chaos and what am I going on about? Well, it was actually first talked about in Warhammer Fantasy, but then it sort of got fleshed out a lot more in Warhammer 40,000, and then there were specifically, in the late 1980s, 
two books, the Realms of Chaos books, and they took forever to come out. And basically there are four chaos gods. I'm going to mention a fifth one, which I don't like talking about, but there are four canonical chaos gods. And in these books, these two huge volumes, you basically had all the rules you needed to use chaos in Warhammer 40,000 and also Warhammer Fantasy Battle and also even in Warhammer Fantasy role playing as well. All three rule systems were accompanied by these books. But in volume one, you had two chaos gods and in volume two, you had the other two chaos gods. So you had to spend quite a lot of money to get all the rules for all the chaos. And that's the bit where I've said in the past, Games Workshop doesn't retcon things. What they talk about is basically there is an unreliable narrator. So if somebody says something and somebody later on says something contradictory, it doesn't mean the first thing's wrong. It could be the second person's wrong, or it could mean that both are right depending on your point of view or whatever. But I am going to talk about where it was and a little bit about how they have. This is probably the one area where they have kind of retcon things. And if you did talk to them, you'd have to retcon them. So for all you people who are really into Warhammer now and have been playing it for 10 years, you're probably going to get slightly angry with me, but I'm going to say go back and look at the original stuff. And if we all agree that nothing's purely retconned, what's going on here is business decisions rather than world building decisions. Okay, so we have the four chaos gods and they manifest different types of chaos, which I'm going to say has always been a bit of a problem because some of it isn't very chaotic in my opinion. My opinion only. We have Corn, which is a terrible name because I've just said it on a podcast and you're thinking of C-O-R-N and you're imagining this big pile of yellow stuff. The corn is as high as a elephant's eye. No, it's spelled K-H-O-R-N-E. Corn. He is the blood god. Then there is Slanesh, that is the god of excess and seduction and perversion. Then there is Nurgle, the god of decay. And then there is Zeech, that's T-Z-E-E-N-T-C-H. I'm pretty sure that's how you spell it. So yeah, it's hard to say. And basically the god of change and scheming and plots. And if you're sitting there going, I'm, I'm not entirely sure all that's very chaotic. Yeah, so they came up with this good idea, and there are different elements to evil, and there have been countless books written around the followers of these four chaos gods. But there are elements to it where it's like, I'm not entirely sure that's chaos. But anyway, so let me do a slightly deeper dive on each one. So Corn, if you like, is the most obviously evil one. Corn's also referred to as the blood god. And basically, Corn wants war. He sits on a great throne of skulls, and it's blood for the blood god. There was literally a very terrible single created by a thrash metal band called Sabbat that actually had a song called Blood for the Blood God, which was on flexible disc, uh, as in record disc, on the front cover of an edition of White Dwarf, the official magazine. which I listened to with my friends and we all went, well, that, that's just shouting. That's not very good at all. So sorry, it wasn't my cup of tea, but it was, to be fair to them, very, very corn because he would obviously want his music loud and angry. He, he was never going to listen to a nice 
piano concerto or something like that. But the thing about Korn is he just wants violence and blood. He wants people to get up close. He hates magic or things like guns. To be fair, in the Warhammer 40,000 universe, they absolutely do have guns, but they're not the, not the best shots in the game because he wants blood for the blood god. So there are literally these berserkers who have axes with chainsaws on the end of them just for ultimate amounts of flesh tearing. And they absolutely fit the corn style. So corn in both Age of Sigmar and in Warhammer 40,000, you've got a lot of close combat units. They're incredibly powerful. You don't want them to get near you, but maybe you can shoot them off the board with magic arrows, guns, before they hit you like a truck. That's corn. Then, when in the original books, they have opposites to each other. They're kind of antagonistic to each other. So this has been dialed down quite a lot. So in the past, you, you can absolutely not have Corn and Slanesh on the same army because they are diametrically opposed in terms of their ideologies. Whereas nowadays you can have an entire Chaos Demon army of all of the different types of demons from these manifestations. I'll come on to sort of demons and other things in a minute, but let's do the actual gods then. So then we got Slanesh. Slanesh is an androgynous figure. And when I was first reading this stuff, it was quite clear. Slanesh was the god of perversion. And you've got things like these horrific demonettes with like one breast wearing fishnet stockings, but also with horrible claws and needle-like teeth. So it was a really creepy look, which is still there. But if you like, the sexy stuff has been dialed down because... If you're trying to sell this stuff to 12-year-olds, you probably don't want all of that everywhere. So now Slanesh has become the god of excess. And for me personally, this doesn't work. I've had the conversation. I really do my best to just be nothing but positive on Twitter. I think there are too many people out there looking to score cheap points or start arguments or whatever. But I had somebody try to convince me, and they really didn't, on why... Because if, if I've just said blood for the blood god... Blood at all costs for corn, that's surely an excessive amount of blood. Corn wants excess in the realms of violence and blood. So that leaves out excess. All of these gods are excessive in their area. So Slanesh, if they don't have a specific area and they're just in it for excess, well, that surely makes them the weakest god of all because all the other ones are basically doing Slanesh's job for them. So I do have a problem with that. I think this is why it's rather, sometimes rather ill-defined, the bits of chaos. But the idea of, like, seduction and lust and these sort of cravings that nobody dares speaks about, your deep, dark secrets, whatever they may be, that's a good idea. And indeed, when we look at the... Things like the Horus Heresy, which is, for those of you who didn't listen to that particular episode, that's when, in the Warhammer 40,000 world, Chaos first arrives, and some of these very noble followers of the Emperor start falling to Chaos. It's a sort of tragedy, if you like, and turns into a massive civil war. And the idea of a warrior who's been fighting for hundreds of years, well, first of all, you can see why Korn's particularly interesting to them. I mean, there's literally a chapter of Space Marines called the Flesh Terrors, 
but they're the good guys and yet they've got corn written all over them so sometimes it's pretty hard to work out what's the difference between a chaos space marine and just a regular space marine at times but with Slanesh, the look the amount of times in history where an old war horse has been seduced by a young woman that distracts them from what they should be doing that works that that absolutely works but what I find interesting in the books, and I, I put this in a very, very early review on Amazon when the first few books of the Horus Heresy were coming out, saying it's interesting while I'll happily write graphic scenes of battle and action with heads being chopped off and skin being flayed off people. Okay, it's pretty full on, but they instantly veer away from any kind of sexiness. If you like, it always fades to black before anything happens and nothing ever happens that's particularly weird and wild because that would get them in trouble with the parents and so on and so forth. So Slanesh, they set up in the 1980s where they really weren't thinking about global brands, social media, etc. because none of this stuff was existed in like 1988, but has been a problem for them ever since. And at one point, they even just in the Age of Sigmar, they just locked Slanesh away. Slanesh has been put into a different vault and the god of the Skaven was elevated to one of the Chaos Gods for a short period of time, the Horned Rat. That kind of works, but then Slanesh is now back again for the record. That's Slanesh. Then we've got Nurgle, which is one of my children's favorites, and I always like Nurgle. Papa Nurgle, huge, big, bloated mass. Green, corpulent, horns sticking out of his head. And basically, he's into disease and rot, an excessive amount, again, where basically pustules, literally he lives in what's referred to as the Garden of Nurgle, but it's not actually a garden. Nurgle. And it's just everything is covered in fungus and mold and the stench of decay and rot. And there's literally one demon on the back of a giant evil snail. If you like, Nurgle is the nicest out of the Chaos Gods because he is generous with his gifts and he just wants to make everything rot. I mean, obviously nobody wants to rot. Nobody wants to be covered in maggots and things like that. But in his own way, he feels he's doing everybody a favor. He thinks he's a nice guy, whereas Korn knows he's just rending blood and he'll happily take blood from any area. If one of his armies loses, but had a really bloody defeat, he's just as happy as if that army had won. So Nurgle's actually kind of nice, almost cuddly, because he's very large. That's Nurgle, and the opposite of Nurgle is Zinch, which is ever-changing. So nothing's allowed to rot because it's always evolving, adapting, changing its shape and form. This is the god of schemes, where each Zinch follower is constantly scheming in against another Zinch follower, which I kind of like. But I'm not entirely sure that's very chaotic. But they've absolutely done their best to show these as sort of very fearsome. I've heard some very sort of clever people twisting it, saying, do you know what, in the world of Warhammer 40,000, because humanity is so evil and twisted and is basically like a Stalinist fascist regime, that these chaos people are free thinking and have broken away from that. They're the good guys. Well, not if they're also executing as many people as possible to let blood for the blood god. So, yeah, I'm, I'm going to challenge that a little bit. But what we've got here is a lot of different types of gods roaming around the world of these different types of Warhammer. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Planning for your next trip? 
Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Now, the last thing I'm going to say about the world of this demons and chaos, etc. Before I go into some real history, don't worry, guys, it's coming up. And look, I'm also going to say... If this is your first time, if you've been brought in by Warhammer, great. There are other episodes of Warhammer, but you might want to listen to other ones too. I've done one on Lord of the Rings, which is kind of similar, and Games Workshop absolutely has its own Lord of the Rings game, so you might want to find out the real history lurking just underneath the surface of that. Or, hey, if you remember Scooby-Doo as a kid, genuinely, real history there, did another episode on that. There's lots of different ones, okay? Please click subscribe. Give us a review, that'd be lovely, and spread the word. Either retweet when I push out the links on Twitter, or, hey, just tell another person, an actual person. Maybe you're playing a game of Warhammer 40,000, you're sitting there going, oh, this reminds me, I've been listening to this new podcast, you might want to check it out. It's not actually new, but it'll be new to you. Anyway, I digress. So, each one of these chaos gods, they've got several different manifestations. They live in what's called the warp which in Warhammer 40,000 is almost kind of like, well, that's how ships travel in hyperspace, but it's horrible and nasty, and it's a place of howling chaos. And basically, it's sort of hell, but it's actually almost got an immaterial sort of location, as it were, and ships can travel through hell and out the other side. And basically, you either have people who are praying and dedicating themselves to these chaos gods, and they might get gifts from them, so they might start twisting and looking weirder and uglier, like they might have horns spouting out of their head, but then they're supernaturally strong or maybe supernaturally long life, something like that, so they get the gifts of the the dark gods, or you get actual demons being summoned from this warp period, quite like their big bad bosses, and there are greater demons and lesser demons, so going back to Nurgle for example, the greater demon of Nurgle is called a great unclean one, and it's just this huge fat thing, and it's got, well, one of the versions, you can build it in several different ways, but one of them on its huge big belly actually has a mouth with a big tongue hanging out of it. And there's lots of cuts in its skin where it's sort of bursting with maggots. It's filthy and disgusting and glorious all at the same time. You get the bloodthirsters, they're the greater demons of 
corn who look very much like your classic kind of devils okay big bat wings big hooves holding like a flaming sword something like that cross between a, a demon and a balrog yes and you so you get the idea look I could, I could go into all the other ones but so you've either got actual demons or you've got people who are worshipping and if you like trying to get the attention of the demons and the dark gods I did say I'd mention a fifth one it wasn't the horned rat one but there was in the late 1980s this other one called Malal now, Malal is, I'm going to say, a true chaos god because Malal's truly chaotic and their followers only fight other chaos. So, you know, they are completely chaotic. You know, look, fine. If there's a good guy standing between you and something else, they'll absolutely happily kill the good guy. But they are out for just causing as much chaos, much anarchy as, as possible, which I think is very suitable to the world of chaos. They were very careful not to call them devils, and they were very careful not to call them just out-and-out -out evil. There was even a character drawn, there was a comic, sort of comic strip about a follower of Malal in the late 80s. He was called Caleb Dark. But I think that there's been some copyright issues with that, which is why it's all just been very quietly shoved into a corner, and we shall not discuss that ever again. The flip side of all of this is I wanted to talk about, well, when I say evil, I know what you're thinking about. It, it doesn't matter whether you believe in, in Christianity, Islam, Judaism, those are the three main monotheistic religions, but all of them have a concept of good versus evil in them. I'm going to stick to Christianity because it's the one that I'm most familiar with, although I have done research in the others. But yeah, if you've got a heaven, you're going to have to have a hell. So you have a devil, and the idea of devil worshipping has been something that should be punished again and again. The witches, particularly in the Renaissance era onwards, they were punished less to do with... I mean, a lot of them were basically midwives, but... They were all accused of being devil worshippers, communing with the devil, of which there was no evidence of any of this stuff anyway. But it wasn't just good enough that you were giving people potions and lotions and helping people with, like, herbal remedies. That was suspicious, but you obviously also praying to the devil and rather than God, and therefore that's why you're going to be burnt at the stake. But what I find interesting is that if you've got a monotheistic faith, Things are quite binary, good, evil, heaven, hell. But when you look at polytheistic religions, religions with multiple gods, there just isn't that devil figure. I'm going to give you the closest I've come up with. We get Aposis. Aposis is a god of the night and is definitely evil, somebody not to be trusted, or deity not to be trusted or liked in ancient Egyptian culture. Aposis basically lived in the night. So this is all sounding kind of familiar, kind of evil, dark, shadowy, all this sort of thing. This, this sounds like the devil. And indeed, if there's the closest thing in the pantheon of gods of the Egyptians, Ra is the closest thing you've got to God-God. Ra's clearly the chief god and also the bringer of light. So one of the things that Ra is meant to do is he has a chariot that has the sun in the back of it and he carries that chariot across the sky every day and then disappears into the underworld of darkness. And at that point, Ra has a challenge. Ra must then continue to 
wade through many obstacles and in particular Apophis is trying to stop Ra from carrying the sun through the underworld and then up into the heavens again in time for the next morning. So there absolutely were temples and prayers around Apophis but it was always, you see this is interesting, Everybody agreed, we want sunlight, okay? Sunlight's good. So there were no devil worshippers. There were no emo-like ancient Egyptians sitting around in leather jackets going, nobody understands Apophis, you know, he's actually a good guy, right? <laughs> so that just was not a thing. So whereas people were aware, and, and indeed, if you like, Apophis was evil because he was trying to stop the rising of the sun. Apophis didn't spend his time trying to seduce and corrupt actual mortals. He had bigger fish to fry. Another interesting thing I like is that there are weird inconsistencies in ancient legends. When, when people try and have arguments modern day with people of faith going, well, this doesn't make sense and that doesn't make sense, you're doing it wrong, okay? Faith is faith. You can't tell people not to believe. If they believe, they believe. Now, you can argue about facts and dates and, and things that we can actually prove, but if somebody just has a feeling inside of them, there is nothing you're ever going to say about that that's going to change it. And you might think, but how can you deal with this logical inconsistency? Well, it happened in the ancient era, too. And the example I will give is, I've just told you that Ra carries the chariot with the sun on it across the sky and through the underworld. Every ancient Egyptian knew that, and hence that was the danger of Apophis that one day he might actually win. However, there was also another one where a great giant scarab beetle, like these dung beetles, would push behind, or technically in front of it, sort of behind it. If you think of a dung beetle and how it sort of turns around and it uses its rear legs to push along a piece of dung, that's what the scarab beetle was doing with the sun across the sky. Those two things can't be happening at the same time. So how ancient Egyptians decided to believe both those two things simultaneously as to explain the movement of the sun? Ah, but it, it's an example again of there's a logical dissonance there that everyone just ignored and got on with, which I find really interesting. Now, I mentioned demons there. And demon is a Greek word, but the ancient Greeks, again, didn't have a devil. Now, we can start talking about the underworld and Hades, but Hades wasn't the same thing as the devil. Hades' job was to look after the underworld, not to punish sinners. And the thing about Hades is it's just where everybody was when they died. It wasn't necessarily a good place or a bad place. That took Christians to start coming up and dissecting this stuff and putting people into different areas, the whole evolution of that. But daemon or demon is absolutely a Greek word. But what was interesting is a demon meant almost the actions of a god. So it wasn't like Zeus going, poof, here's my little minion with bat wings, of course, just I'm keeping it common as a demon, sort of like floating around doing, doing my bidding. It was more a case of if Zeus smote somebody by having a boulder fall on them, that action of the boulder falling on them was a demon. 
And that meant that obviously demons were kind of invisible. You couldn't necessarily see demons coming. I guess you could argue that a hurricane heading towards you was, or a storm on your ship, you could argue that that is Poseidon casting a demon at you. So you can see again how there's a subtle nuance there that over the millennia has been lost and has turned into these back-like bidding creatures of, of Satan kind of thing. So then I am going to also talk about something else where you're going, I think I've got one for you, Jim. In which case, if you're thinking of Hinduism, you're probably thinking Kali. Kali the Destroyer. I mean, that's pretty good. Horribly offensive portrayal of Kali and Kali worship in Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, which I'm going to say has not aged well. All right? Just leave it there. Fortune and glory, kid. He was going for rip-roaring, B-movie fun and sort of was aware of the sensibilities but just wanted to portray it the way people would portray it in the 1930s. And in that respect, he got it spot on, but it's definitely tinnied today. But the point is this, Kali genuinely is a real deity in Hinduism and also in Buddhism as well. Uh, she is quite often portrayed as blue, sticking her tongue out with disheveled long black hair and quite often with a necklace of skulls. I mean, come on. This is sounding quite like corn. This is sounding quite devilish indeed. And she is known as the Destroyer. And if you read the great stories and legends from Hinduism, like the Mahabharat and other ones as well, there's lots of sort of like ancillary legends around all of these gods. She is just a storm of violence and destruction, and she is more than capable of killing iterations of other gods. But... First of all, there's some interesting points around this. There are, as I just said, there's kind of like different versions of gods. It's like they spawn different, different levels of their own power. And some lesser gods are quite often connected to some of the key gods. Like Vishnu is the closest you're going to get to a kind of a Zeus and all-powerful god in Hinduism, and I have heard some Hindu intellectuals argue that actually all the gods are basically a construct from Vishnu. And so Hinduism could be seen as a monotheistic faith because it all comes from Vishnu. And I think that's clever, but I think if you ask your average Indian, it's like, well, no, Ganesh is separate, to Kali is separate, to Vishnu is separate, etc., etc. So it, it's a really interesting area. And I love the fact, and again, when it comes to Hinduism, Kali isn't evil. She may be a destroyer, but it's quite clear that she destroys to renew. She's sweeping out the old to bring in the new. And she is also, she may be a destroyer, but she's specifically a protector of innocence as well. So this is not mindless destruction like corn, for example. And the other thing is that she has uh, these moments when she has fought and defeated other constructs of other gods, etc. It's quite often to do the bidding of another god or to defend a goddess or something like that. So it isn't just she's going around killing and destroying and, and, and just the wanton destruction. So Kali, again, scary god, powerful god, but not the one you're thinking of when you're thinking of like devil type thing or, you know, the potent all evil scenario. The last example I'm going to give you is from Norse mythology, just to prove, you know, different eras, different locations, etc. So we've had Asia, we've had North Africa, now we're into Northern Europe, okay? We're spreading over 
4,000 years or so. So we come to hell. Now what's interesting is hell is the name of a deity and hell is the name of a place. And yeah, it's that kind of hell. It's again where bad people go. If you die in battle, if you do something glorious, you get to go to Valhalla, the hall of gods, and you get to sit there and dine with Odin and Thor and all that kind of stuff, okay? However, hell, if you like die in your bed, having done nothing of worth in your entire life, you're going to hell. But what's interesting is, of course, if you live in somewhere like Norway, hot is good. You, you're not hot enough throughout your life. So a fiery hell? No, that would be good. So hell in Norse mythology is cold because they got, got way too much of the freezing winds and snow and ice in Norway and Sweden, etc. So yeah, hell's cold and hell is run by this, this goddess called hell. But again, we're more like Hades. She tends to this area. She tends to these, these dead people. She is not stalking the lands again, trying to corrupt people, trying to bring people down. She'll bide her time. People who die on the battlefields will be picked up by Valkyries, which are kind of demigods, carry people up to Valhalla, but everybody else falls into hell. And they have also urine sprinkled on them from rain. So it's just not a nice place, okay? But the final thing I'm going to say is because there isn't this ultimate concept of good versus evil in these in these areas like Hinduism and Norse mythology, Greek mythology, ancient Egyptian mythology, Rome, etc. You can stick in all these together. They just didn't have religious wars because there are all these different gods. It was a case of, oh, OK, fine. You got a god of war. Well, OK, we we call it Mars. You call it Ares. Oh, you call it Horus, which is the ancient Egyptian god of, of war. So, yeah, they looked kind of different, but their their abilities were very similar. So there's no point having a fight over this. There's no concept of heresy or infidel or anything like that unbeliever. It's just a case of, yeah, okay, there are gods running around all over the place. And, and I'm talking about main gods, but if you ever try and find a list of every single Hindu god, or every single possible Hindu god, or every single possible Greek god, you're going to discover it's a huge, long list. So, yeah, it doesn't matter which area we're talking about. We could move over to the Aztecs and it'd be the same kind of thing. Lots of bloodletting there, but the bloodletting was there to renew and fertilize things. You've got Zipitotec, who's a god of metalworking, torture, but also agriculture, because the bloodletting that was associated with Zipitotec and the flaying of people, literally, the god has a golden image and a red image, the golden image skin on, red image skin off. So you want to flay a slave alive to death, but their blood seeping into the soil renews the soil for another year. One person's death feeds an entire village. That's the logic behind it. So yeah, you find it very hard to find good versus evil in these polytheistic religions. You find it very hard to find religiously motivated wars in polytheistic religions. Let's not say they didn't go to war, they weren't violent. I mean, the Vikings are renowned for the violence. But the point is, it was very different to something like the religious clashes of the Crusades, for example, Muslims versus Christians, etc. I think that when we start with the chaos gods of the Warhammer world, we end up with a really interesting conversation about the different aspects of, of evil, the different aspects of power, and I hope you had as much fun listening to this one as I did putting it all together. As always, thanks very much for listening, and hopefully, see you soon.
Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com.